don't look at people like me as some you know genius that can figure out how to create a multi-million pound business i'm just uh, you know a normal guy who's just figuring stuff out every single day and it's it's really just about starting and just bashing down those walls as they come up and that's what's fun about our jobs i guess Successes in the Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community, a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain. Hello and welcome to another episode of Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. If you're new to the show, we'll be discussing with current owner entrepreneurs, their failures, mistakes passion and continued persistence in the face of business adversity. Not all entrepreneurs have completed their vision just yet. Some are just starting out. I want to give you a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. What does it take to become successful, to grow a brand or to start a business? Join me to find out from those that are currently doing just that. Today I'm joined by founder and CEO of Charged Up a UK business calling themselves the Boris Bike of mobile charging. Charged Up are developing a network of vending machines across 50 European cities, which allows users to borrow portable battery banks, use them for as long as they need, and return them to a station or venue of their choice. Having raised significant seed capital to start Charged Up, Things changed rather rapidly in the first few weeks of lockdown after the Charged Up team was set to roll out 150 charging stations to an airport in the UK. The downturn in footfall and Hugo's entrepreneurial spirit saw him pivot rather swiftly and quite elegantly into the world of sanitisation. It is at this point that the aptly named Cleaned Up was born. Cleaned Up, in its first 30 days, saw revenue of over £1 million, with over 7,000 sanitizer stations sold to what Hugo calls dream clients. Since then, they've sold over 30,000 stations to some of the country's biggest brands and locations, with a rebrand to the Up Company on the horizon and some exciting new services in the pipeline. Hugo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. It's great to be on. And, and what an apt introduction for the madness that has happened over the last four months. It has been utter, utter madness. But you guys have had a good time of it. Yeah, well, we've, we've tried to, uh, we've ridden the wave, I guess, of, uh, of what's, what's been going on. Um, it was, it started not quite so well. Uh, but obviously, uh, as, as you alluded to, it's, it's turned into something of a positive experience for us as a company. And, uh, you know, all of the, the sanitization that we've been able to, to help out with has, has actually ended up being a positive for the, for the company in general. It obviously, obviously you guys started off having raised, um, finance whilst at university. You've gone through with the business called, obviously, Charged Up, which was going from strength to strength. Then suddenly the pandemic hit and you were going to deliver these stations, but obviously you couldn't because the footfall was down. What went through your mind at the point that you realized actually this pandemic might be here for a while? Well, it was it was very early days in the in the lockdown situation when we got our call. We, we were going into uh, one of the major airports in the UK with our charging stations, and they they gave us a call and said, you know, it's it's starting to look a little bit shaky now. Uh, we're, we're expecting an announcement to come out any day. I actually don't think it would be sensible to send the units because they might actually end up not being able to be installed once you get to the other end. And so we we pulled the plug on that project uh, literally three days before lockdown then did actually happen. Uh, so it was very lucky that we pulled it because they would have been stuck some, in some airport 
car park somewhere and who knows what would have happened to them. Um, but the, the, the concept for this phone charging uh, is obviously putting phone chargers into high footfall locations in the public spaces. And clearly, when we saw the need uh, of the world change overnight to needing to feel safe when they're out and about and not needing to charge their phones because everyone's spending time at home, we thought, what can we do to actually help in this situation? So we decided to convert those 150 units into hand sanitizing dispenser stations. At the same time, we were trying to figure out how to produce them. We were also trying to figure out how to get sanitizer because I'm sure everyone knows there was this complete desert of sanitizer at the time. Everyone was buying it all up, selling it for crazy prices and doing all sorts of kind of cowboyish behavior uh, in the early days of, of, of lockdown. Uh, and we were obviously very lucky that we had relationships with a lot of uh, breweries and a lot of uh, gin distilleries uh, through the Charged Up network. This led on to us having conversations with them, and they actually ended up switching their supply because they weren't selling any gin at the time to sanitizer. And that's how we got our first supply chain for the Cleaned Up project. While this was going on, we started selling the, the Cleaned Up stations, and we were very lucky in that no one else really was able to produce them quick enough and based in the UK. So we went from 150 units sold out uh, within literally a matter of days to thousands of units being sold out and being on back order for weeks and weeks. And eventually we got up to about a four week uh, lead time on, on all of our products just because the demand was so high. And we were, we, we were ramping up our production, but people just kept buying more and more. And we ended up at a point where we were producing 10,000 units per week. And that actually just couldn't keep up with the demand in the market. So it's been a pretty crazy ride so far. And we're, we're still on the wave right now. So exciting times, I guess. It is. And you're obviously um, a finalist in the Great British Entrepreneur Awards as a, I think, pivot entrepreneur of the year, I believe. That's it. Uh, and I believe you are as well. So congratulations on getting into that. You got, I am, but frankly, I think I've met my match and I have every you know, respect for you when you walk up there and win, which I imagine you will. But GBA, they, they obviously sponsor this and they're quite pleased that, that you've, you've come on. But if we're to backtrack slightly before the pandemic, which you know, no one could foresee, you know, back, back in the day when you were at university, you went to Exeter University, you did a master's degree in renewable energy and engineering. Obviously, you then came up with the concept of Charged Up at University. You went through with the funding. You went through to get some seed capital. You then graduated with a master's. How? How did you do all of that? So, in fact, I, I had actually graduated by the time I started the business. So it was the idea uh, that the concept was, was at university, but then it was kind of the last three years since I graduated that I've been building the business. But um, it, it has just been a case of just bashing down walls you know we we get up against a wall how do you how do you uh, produce an app i've never built an app before so you start googling how do you how do you make an app so you just you start ticking off these things how do you make uh, hardware you you find someone out in china who can work for you you then go and find a factory you assess a load of different factories you just learn as you go and that's all we've been doing over the last 3 years and been making a lot of mistakes along the way. A lot of things don't go to plan. A lot of things then do go to plan because you just keep persisting and bashing down those walls. And that's all I can say to you know young entrepreneurs who are trying to get into the game is don't look at people like me as some you know genius that can figure out how to create a multi-million pound business. I'm just 
you know, a normal guy who's just figuring stuff out every single day. Um, and it's, it's really just about starting and just bashing down those walls as they come up. And that's what's fun about our jobs, I guess. Indeed. And you look at, I suppose, James Dyson. I'm going to liken you, and don't get too, too big-headed here, Hugo. I'm going to liken you to, <laughs> to James Dyson in as much as he obviously is an engineer. You did engineering at university. Now, that is, by definition, a degree in which you solve problems. You come up with Correct. solutions. Did that set you up in good stead with this business? And what would you have done had you not actually started a business? It's a very good question. Um, one of the reasons for me starting the business was actually I didn't quite know what else I would do. It was, uh, it was too obvious for me to start a business uh, rather than go into any other career. There was no other career where I felt I could do it, you know, three times, four times, five times better than the next guy. Um, so I, that's why I started the business or one of the many reasons I started the business. But I do think engineering is a great degree. If, if you're dead set on going to university, then I, I do think engineering is a great degree to do because it does force you to do problem solving on a daily basis, which is all what entrepreneurship is about. You know, it really is just a, a series of problems that you have to just keep solving each day. You walk into the office, something goes wrong, you have to figure out how to sort it. And whether it's you or one of your team, that that is just life in in a startup. And I, I absolutely love it. I, I couldn't ask for a, a more fun way to spend my days. But equally, I do think the the degree has really set me up quite well for going into this world because it, it gives you the freedom to figure things out as, as time goes on. Hugo, talk to me about how you actually brokered comms with China and, and sort of set up, uh, I suppose, business with them. Did you have to go out there, meet people, greet people? What was the thought process there and how did it work? Yeah, it was a, a very interesting journey um, from you know the initial days of trying to find someone on the ground. That, that itself in itself was actually a, a very difficult activity. Uh, we managed to find an American chap that had moved out to China about 10 years ago. Uh, and, and, and he actually ended up consulting for us to help us find that first factory. Um, but very quickly after that, once we realized that we uh, thought we had the right factory, it was very important for us to get out there. So, you know, we, we spent our, our kind of last 1500 quid on flights and accommodation to get out to China and, uh, and set off, landed in Shenzhen. Um, it's, it really is a different world. It's a fascinating place. And I, I have a lot of, uh, a lot of time for the, the way that people work out there and the, the attitude to entrepreneurship and the, the kind of anything is possible attitude that they've got. Um, and we, we ultimately ended up going out and, and, and visiting the factory, taking tours around, um, and negotiating with them. Um, as, as a, you know, 21 year old at the time, it was uh, it was quite a surreal experience with a with a factory uh, full of executives. I think there was about ten people on their side of the table, and then myself and the interpreter on on, on our side. And we were trying to to pitch them that we were going to take over Europe for them. Somehow they bought it. <laughs> well, I'm sure I'm sure they did. Yeah. Well, it must have been so odd, though. I mean, in the pandemic, everybody was looking to China. You'd already looked at China for your for your previous business, but then you ended up. I suppose, getting everything from, from the UK for, for cleaned up. I suppose you've observed the masses and done the opposite. Did that give you a level of advantage? Definitely. It, it would not have been possible to do cleaned up if it wasn't for our UK manufacture. It was, it was not a, a case of price at that point. It was all about lead time. So if you could produce in the UK, you could have a, a much quicker turnaround time um, and you could actually be competitive. That would win you every deal. 
And that's how we were able to win all of these big operators. So moving forwards, as it becomes more commoditized, do you think China's going to be a more valuable proposition for cleaned up because the price has to go down? I think that's probably correct. Yeah, as time goes on, people are willing to accept a longer lead time. Um, but you know, if you if you walk around most streets in the UK, most people now have a sanitizer dispenser. So that market is actually kind of drying up as as, as we speak, um, because everyone just rushed out to buy them in the early days of lockdown. Um, so now it's about pr- providing a high quality refill. And that's what we've been doing. And that's why we've been working with a UK based medical grade manufacturer in order to give the best product possible. So coming out of university, having never run a business before, you've done a lot of internships, had a lot of experience um, in multiple different sectors. How did you, I suppose, figure out what you needed to do to start and structure a business correctly to be successful? Ultimately, it's uh, it's just a case of trial and error, really. You, you, you can read an awful lot online. You can read a lot of books about it. Um, but you actually just have to go out there and start doing it. And ultimately, that is the, the real way to figure out uh, what you can and can't do. Um, and, you know, we, we ultimately just kept, um, you know, pushing forward and, and figuring things out as we went along. And ultimately, we, we managed to get through it. So it can't be that difficult. <laughs> what was your biggest mistake, Hugo, um, when, you, when you first started both businesses? It's a great question. I think the, uh, the, the focus for us is not about those mistakes that we've made. It's about how we've managed to just keep blasting through because ultimately you make a mistake every week. You know, that, that would be uh, impossible not to do. Um, but it's really about how you respond to those. And if you're able to just keep pushing forward, then you're going to be a successful entrepreneur. It's all about grit and determination at the end of the day. So running both Charged Up and Cleaned Up, um, how much of it do you put down to your vision and your passion? And how much do you put it down to actually having the correct team around you? I would say, you know, realistically, I make up about 1% of the value in this company. It is really about the team and their, uh, you know, ability to solve problems, um, figure out new ways to do things and keep pushing forward. Because if, if, if it was all down to me, we would never have got anywhere. It's, it's about trusting and growing a brilliant team that can be autonomous, independent. You know, when we switched to fully remote, it was a great test for the team. And obviously, they've managed to uh, be actually even more productive than when they were just in the office. Um, so it's a, you know, it's absolute testament to the team how brilliant they are that we've been able to push through all of this. From a management standpoint, you've worked for people, you've been an intern at other businesses. How much of that uh, learned experience have you managed to impart into your into your business from a management standpoint with your own staff? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I, I think it's all about um, you know, being very open and honest with the, with the team. You know, if, if something isn't going quite correct, you just have to, you have to bring it up quickly in a friendly way. But also, you know, transparent manner. If you if you don't uh, confront issues, they just they they build and they build over time. Um, so that that would be my one bit of advice for anyone trying to learn how to be a manager. And were you born an entrepreneur, Hugo? Back at Wellington College, did you go through your GCSEs and go, "This is what I want to do," or did you just fundamentally want to solve problems? I think it was a bit of both, to be honest. Um, unfortunately, when I was at school, I think I was a bit too busy uh, with uh, with Saturday school and, and, and prep. Oh, you went to that. Oh, that might be why I went so badly wrong. 
<laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was definitely not my most entrepreneurial years at school. But as soon as I went to university and realized that you can you can get away with doing only a few hours of lectures a day and a few hours of uh, of reading, it, it really gives you a lot of free time. <laughs> and when I have free time, I start building oh, then you things. Realized, okay. And uh, that's that's when I realized that I, I was uh, I was really made for this world. Um, and you know, I really couldn't imagine doing anything else. It's it gives you so much freedom. Uh, you're able to to hire great people to do the things that you don't like doing, um, and it allows you to to just create value, whether it's through a product or through a service. You know, you you can you can see the world, you can see what's wrong with it, and you can solve for that. And I just think that that's a a great position to be in. What does a typical day then look like for you from a time management point of view, which you came to realize at university was so important to having the headspace and ability to grow something? You know, tomorrow, today, yesterday, what does it look like? It's a, it's an interesting one. We've obviously been going through a bit of a transition from, you know, zero in-person meetings to starting to do, you know, coffees and and, and investment chats again, which is great. It's uh, I, I love doing that. So I'm, I'm very happy that those things are starting to come back. But Ultimately, a lot of my time is spent, uh, you know, externally to the business, trying to, you know, get ourselves into into media or trying to get investors on board, trying to get new partners on board, and then probably about twenty percent of my time is internal on the team, solving problems uh, and and helping the team kind of grow and. And, and improve. I don't know, Hugo, if you've listened to any of the previous podcasts that we've done, but it's time for one of our, you know, the, the best part, if you will, the, the, the game, the game called Trust Me, I'm a Doctor Probably. Are you aware of this? <laughs> I am not. Please, you're from not, the end. You're not. I, I, I will do. Stand by. So essentially what this is, it's a game around um, truth or, or sort of false, I suppose, falsities. So if it's a true statement, and I'll read you them in a minute, if it's a true statement, you need to say cleaned up, okay? If it's a false okay. statement, you say dirty dog, all right? So for, for, for example, uh, you go, for example, and I'm going to read you headlines. So it's based on your news yes. or press over the last couple of weeks. So if I said Excellent. five SME winners of the crisis, you would say cleaned up because it's a factual statement. The Times published it. Okay. Cleaned up. That exactly would be the right answer in that case, in that situation. Now, I've got 10 questions. You're really only competing against yourself mm. here, I'll be honest. Um, but we'll... What's the prize? The, the prize is um, pride. That's what it is. Pride. Brilliant. <laughs> so I shall go from the top and uh, give me your honest opinion. Here we go. Clean, mean, crisis machine. <laughs> yes, cleaned up. No, you're wrong. Actually, I made that up. I thought it was brilliant. It's false. Dirty oh, dog. Oh, oh, I could be a journalist. Oh, God. There's some really impressive Useless. ones in here that I was genuinely quite proud of this morning when I wrote them. Um, how about this one? How we turned the challenge of COVID-19 into an opportunity of a lifetime. Cleaned up or dirty dog? Ooh, that, that does sound like cleaned up. It would be, yeah, it is. It's from Click. It's from Click. An art, an Fantastic. Click. How about this one? Company changes business model due to pandemic and hits 1 million sales in one month. Well, I think you've already quoted that one, so I think that's cleaned up. It's not the catchiest of headlines, though, but you are, you are right. Um, but there you go. That's the Business Leader magazine. How about this one? Two Londoners clean up after flipping their business into sanitizer bays. I remember that one because I was very confused as to what a sanitizer bay was. Mm. So, yes, cleaned well, up. I thought the same thing. It's a sanitizer station, I'm assuming, is the technical term there. Yeah. Well, that's City AM. There you go. <laughs> No dirty money 
has a startup makes millions. <laughs> I would say dirty dog on that one. Yeah, that's exactly right. Dirty dog. Look at that. You're getting them all right, apart from one so far. Um, here you go. Handy, brilliant, handy pivot in the pandemic for entrepreneurs. Oh, I'm not sure I've seen that one. I'm going to say dirty dog. Yeah, well done. That was, I thought, brilliant, but that was me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> furloughed workers start business during lockdown. Now it's worth a million. Again, yes, that one is a cleaned up. Again, because they, they got it wrong. We, we were not furloughed. <laughs> I was going to ask you that <laughs> but, because you guys weren't, were you? Some of you guys were, no, but um, you weren't. It, I think it's it's clickbaity, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. clickbaity. It's That's also they go for probably it. illegal now. <laughs> you know? mm. But uh, there you go. That was, what was it for an extra point? What paper? It's a red top. Uh, was that the mail? No, it was the, it was the mirror. So that's why it was rubbish. Ah, that's um, it. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? Charging forward on improved hygiene for commuters. Ooh, that does sound like one. Is mm. that cleaned up? That is cleaned up, the evening standard. Um, and this one here, Excellent. The, the most catchy, the most corporate in the world. Here we go. Every tube station in London now has a hand sanitizer station to combat coronavirus. I would say cleaned up. It was. has to be. And who was it? Um, I'm not sure. No, it was Tell me. LBC News. So that's why it was so wordy. But uh, <laughs> there you Fantastic. Go. And that's, last, that's a great synopsis of what we've been up to. But last but not least, um, Hugo, clean there, done that. Oh, that one's dirty yeah, dog, very, surely. Very good. Nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. That's not bad. That's 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 uh, you're <laughs> not winning. Not bad at all. Do I get my prize? <laughs> if you if you accept the prize, you do, and it's only pride. But there you go, sir. Well, well done on Fantastic. on that. And how does it make you feel to to sort of be summarised by such positive press in such a negative time? It's it, it's very you know it's very inspiring to be described in such a way. Um, you know, I think the press often, especially early days of lockdown. We're very reluctant to write about anything that was good news. Um, and we were, we were very lucky to be able to, you know, create a great opportunity, um, when everything was going, you know, really quite so wrong. Um, but now, obviously, I think the, the attitude has changed. People do want something a bit more optimistic. And obviously, we've been able to provide those headlines for them and they just keep writing about it, which is brilliant for us. And, and talk to me about the partnership um, with Ecotricity about creating uh, that sustainable energy for for charged up because they're a local business to where to where we're based. And I'm interested to understand the the journey there. Yeah. So early days of charged up, we didn't actually have a product. We were just literally figuring out what the business model was going to be. Um, but something that was always very you know core to my thinking on this on this product was that it needed to be something that was beneficial to the environment and not causing further issues in terms of the, uh, the the climate crisis. So I reached out to the guys at Ecotricity and they were very good to us and, and backed us even before the product was developed and actually went and sponsored our entire network, placing Ecotricity uh, logos on every single battery that we produced uh, for the first year. Um, and off the back of that, we were able to integrate with their renewable energy system so that every time you rented one of our batteries, you were actually using ecotricity energy in order to power that battery. So when the customers used it, they felt great because they were contributing to the green energy grid. And obviously, we felt good because we were partnered with uh, you know, a very sustainable company. We've actually since gone on to, to work with Octopus Energy now, um, which is actually, uh, I guess, potentially slightly larger than uh, ecotricity is these days um and they you know they have ambitions to to go uh into many different countries like like with us so we've actually recently launched into germany with them as well 
Um, but it's the same concept. Indeed. And obviously, when you raised the, I suppose, Series A investment with Set Squared, I believe, what was the process there? Because for, as far as I can see with Set Squared, they work really with sort of blue chip university sort of concepts, I suppose. Can anybody go to them to raise money or do you have to be at one of those universities? So at the, the very first money that we got into the business was from Exeter University and the Set Squared um, Foundation. Uh, and they basically give you a very, very small amount of money, several thousand, you know, a few thousand pounds in order to help you validate an idea. So they were actually the first people to give us money right at the beginning of the of the long journey that we've been on. We've since raised three rounds of investment uh, since, since that, that first cash that came in. Um, and that's all on an equity basis, whereas that first cash was very much just a Here's, here's some cash to kind of go and play with and see if you can build a business off the back of. But I believe it is only for university students, um, but I may be wrong. Right. Okay. Because you later went on, as you said, to raise um, more money. And the guys from the founders from Innocent Smoothie, another massive brand, um, they invested in, in, in you guys as well. You raised, I think it was three and a half million in, in total, am I right in saying. Now, how it must be incredibly difficult to uh, to raise money with a concept, I suppose, that is yet to be, I suppose, um, I say validated to a certain extent. What was the process when raising that money, or did you have a track record because of what you'd done through university? Well, once you once you start, like I said, it's all about just kind of breaking down these walls. So the initial pitch it was actually only for two hundred grand. Um, we were raising the the money from a series of angels. Um, and it was based off the fact that we built the product. We'd, we, we hadn't actually launched it at that point, um, but we'd figured out how to manufacture them, how to build the app. So we had a working prototype, I guess you could call it, but no traction in the market. The only thing that was close to traction was that we'd gone to a festival and a series of bars and rented out power banks, quite literally just standard power banks that you could buy off Alibaba or Amazon or whatever. We put our little logo on it, and then we were we were renting them out, getting people to pay £10 via an iZettle card machine. And then if they returned it, they'd get a refund based on how long they'd kept the battery for. So it was probably the most lo-fi way of kind of MVPing the business. Um, but it, it allowed us to to raise that first bit of cash. It showed that people were uh, willing and able to pay for our product, which is really the basis of any business is, will people pay for this idea? If not, then you probably need to keep working at it. If they will, can you productize that and make that into something super scalable, which is what we then did with their cash. Um, you know, we started producing the actual units, which obviously didn't require a human operator. It's not the most scalable thing in the world. Um, and obviously, we've now produced, you know, thousands of those units and deployed them, like you said, into about 50 cities uh, across Europe. So if I'm an entrepreneur, and I've got an idea like you had, but I don't have the access to funding, I don't have the access to um, Set Squared or any, any VCs or angels such as that, how would you go about starting your business? Would it be self-funding? You know, what would you have done in that situation? I was obviously a university student at the time, so I didn't actually have much money to put into the business. I think I, I put about £300 in to buy those initial uh, batteries from China uh, for our for our test at the festival, um, and and that was about all I could afford to do at that point. Um, but I think there there is always ways to do it. You know that that uh, three grand that we got from Set Squared, maybe that was based on uh, being a university student. But 
the uh, the follow-on funding that we got, we've got money from O2, uh, from a, a, a great uh, competition, um, which we managed to to win. And I think we, we got about £10,000 from that. Again, equity-free and open to anyone. Um, I think the only criteria was that you were building something that was good for the environment and the founder was under 35 or something along those lines. So really anyone could apply to that. Um, the same is true for the other um, uh, competition that we managed to win, which was Shell's Livewire competition. Again, you had to be a young founder and you had to be doing something good for the environment. But again, they gave us about £5,000. Um, all of this, you know, it, it sounds um, like huge amounts of money at the time. It does go very quickly. So I, 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 would, I would suggest that the next place to go is, you know, start talking to your network because whether or not you know people that can invest, you may know people who know people who could invest in your business. And it's those second and third connections that people have that can really, you know, move the needle for your business. For example, our, one of our very earliest angels was one of my girlfriend's mother's second cousin's friend. Tenuous. It's some, some ridiculous <laughs> thing like that. And, you know, if, if you start putting out what you're doing and telling people about what you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. they, they'll have coffees with each other and you never know where those connections can lead. Um, and obviously that, that bore fruit for us. And uh, that, that chap's now been on our board uh, ever since and, and has been a significant investor. And he was just the most tenuous link to, to, the, to the company at that point. So, you know, you never know where these people so, come from. What would you from. say the three things you need to absolutely have in place, regardless if you're doing a friends and family fund or you're going to angels or VCs? If you're wanting to raise money, what are the three things I need to have ready? Yeah, so the, the, the key things that any investor is going to look for is the, the business plan, which you could just sum up as a deck. And the, the, the deck is really what it's all about because that contains the financial model and the traction to date. So those would be the three things, a deck, uh, traction, and a business plan, which is summarized into an Excel format, aka a model, because that's all you need to, to raise that first round. Um, and if you don't have those three components, you, you're really going to struggle to get started. Indeed. And you, and you moved to London after you graduated from university. You knew nobody in town. In hindsight, obviously, businesses now are more accepting of being able to work anywhere in the country or the world. Do you think you'll stay in London? What was the purpose for going to London in the first sure, place? Sure. We, we, we obviously moved to London because it was the most obvious place to launch a sharing economy business. Um, it, it's the you know, highest density of people, the most bars, the most restaurants, the most suitable venues and also the right type of demographic that are, you know, constantly out and about and used to using shared bikes and other shared concepts like Ubers and et cetera. So it was a, a complete no-brainer at the time. I think even today, uh, going to a capital city is a great thing to do if you're an early, you know, early startup um, because there is just that access to capital. You know, we, we are now obviously operating via Zoom and we're able to do things remotely, but... I do think there is a huge amount to be said for face-to-face -face meetings and also investors seeing your product in the real world. We've got a number of investors approach us because they've seen our charging stations in their local pub, for example. And that, you know, you can't really buy that. Um, that is so valuable um, because they are then coming to you rather than the other way around. 
You're right. And I, I was walking around, and I'm based in, in Gloucestershire, but um, I was walking around the Cotswolds the other day, and your stations, your cleaned-up stations, were in every damn pub that I went to. It does make me sound like an alcoholic, but every pub I did go <laughs> to, every pub I went to, there were a number of your stations. And I thought, wow, it's fascinating that you managed to get them out so quickly. You guys have been really hot on PR and marketing. Is that driven by you? Is that driven by the good ideas that you guys have come up with? What's the strategy around that? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. We actually are predominantly a B2B brand, but we have a B2B2C element as well. So our marketing is very focused on attracting talent to the company at the moment um, because we're, we're hiring lots of people. We're also trying to attract brands to work with us. And we're also trying to work, uh, work with more venues. So that is really what our marketing is focused on. And that's why we, we focus a lot of our efforts on LinkedIn, which is our kind of core platform for engaging with, with, with new customers, new brands to work with um, as we scale up. Um, but like you said, the, the, the cleaned up proposition has now scaled up in such a rapid way um, that we, we, we received a stat uh, from the team the other day that we are now actually in one third of every pub, all of the pubs in the UK, yeah, which I can is imagine. quite crazy. It's inc- <laughs> it is incredible, genuinely. And what's the plan with, with Cleaned Up moving forwards? Obviously, Charged Up was your bread and butter, your baby back in the day. And, and now, obviously, has that been overtaken by the success of Cleaned Up? Or is it still a pretty equal playing field? Yeah, sure. So the, the success of Cleaned Up has been incredibly quick uh, and something that we really did not anticipate. Um, but the very purpose of Cleaned Up has never been about just selling sanitizer to people. It's about providing a service to all of our venue partners. So it's the same people that take a charged up station as take a cleaned up station. And what our mission has always been is to build the network and then create value for that network. And that's exactly what the two propositions have done. Um, it's it's great that we've been able to sign the deals that we have over lockdown because you know we were staring down the barrel of potentially six months of no expansion, potentially contraction of the, of, the, of the network and potentially contraction of revenue. We obviously have seen a lot of our, our pubs not yet reopen, um, but we are starting to see, you know, at least uh, over half of our locations are back online and back operating at normal levels, um, which is great. And we're obviously going to be pushing on getting as many of those back to, uh, to normal as possible. And obviously a big part of bringing those pubs back is giving the customers the security to go back in and that's where the cleaned up proposition works so nicely. And, and your investors, when you've called them up at the beginning of the pandemic and said, right, I know I do phone charging, but what I want to do now is wash people's hands. What, what do they say to that? Were they like, you're mad, Hugo, don't bother doing that? Or do they go, I like the, uh, again, entrepreneurial element? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it really depends what your investor base expects from you. Um, we are incredibly lucky to have very hands-off investors who ultimately trust us as operators to make the right decisions for our business. They really they they will never tell us how to run the business. It is really just about guiding us and setting guardrails to help us keep focused on our main goal. And as I explained it to them, as I explained it to you just now, you know, we are looking at not being able to expand the charge up business for you know, we, we didn't know how long it would be. We're now actually expanding the network again, which is great news, but we didn't know how long that period would look like. Um, so we, we came up with this alternative idea for how to expand the network. And that was cleaned up. That was the, the product that people needed at the time. 
And obviously now we've been able to 10x the size of our network through lockdown, which I definitely would not be saying if we just stuck with the phone charging proposition. Well, it's genius because of the cross-sell. I mean, it's fan- the relationships you'll build through network rail or whoever it may be, I'm assuming is going to have it's going to pay dividends essentially with charged up. That's correct. Yes. And, the, you know, the, the wider vision for the company as well. So it's it's a very... Um, exciting opportunity for us. And now we we just need to make sure that we absolutely nail it. So Hugo, talk to me a little bit about um, your dealings with uh, the European countries, the 50 European countries that you're getting into and, and, and how, I suppose, Brexit, which is a term which we've not spoken about much recently because of the pandemic, but, but how's Brexit going to affect um, those 50 countries? That's a great question. We obviously went through that same thought process uh, end of last year as we started to expand into the German market or at least start our expansion plans. Um, We, I think, probably quite sensibly set up an entity out in Germany as well. That that is the company that we run all of our European operations through. So Germany is obviously the the biggest market in Europe. um, And we we saw it as a a great opportunity to bring phone charging and the, the concept that we built into the UK uh, into a new market. And the, all of the research that we did led to, to, to Germany as being the next opportunity. It is interesting. And looking at um, your expansion on social media alone, it seems that you guys are genuinely going all guns. And, uh, and <laughs> with regards to the 10,000 sales in 10 minutes, which baffled me in as much as I was watching your phone just explode, that was real, was it? It was indeed. Yeah, no Photoshop. It was, uh, it was uh, a great day for us. Um, I, I think it, it probably didn't come across quite how excited I was in the video. It was uh, very, very fun. We, we went live with a, a campaign with the guys at Diageo, who are a multi-billion dollar company. They own brands like Guinness and Smirnoff and Gordon's Gin. You know, the, the list goes on and on. Um, and the, the the team decided that they really wanted to help reopen the on trade, um, which which is you know to to normal people on trade is pubs and bars basically, um, and the, the the industry had been absolutely decimated. You know they've they've received a great amount of support now with you know eat out to help out and the VAT um, decreases and all of this good stuff that's come out you know since. But in early days of lockdown, they were the hardest hit, and they were also it seemed like the last to get reopened. So we, we teamed up with uh, Diageo. They'd seen us absolutely rolling out units into the on-trade sector or into other sectors. Um, and they very kindly decided to choose us as their partner to then produce stations for every single pub in the UK. And like I said, we've now placed units into a third of the UK pubs. Um, we're also looking to try and expand that even further uh, because there's there's more people that need uh, the, the units that we've produced. And that day when all of those units came through, that was when we went live with the, uh, the Diageo offer. So it was a very exciting day. It did look exciting. It also looked almost, you watch those YouTube videos and you go, this is definitely set up. But knowing you and having uh, spoken to you before, I did think it was, you know, real and, and, well, and well done for that. But I suppose, speaking about, I suppose, when you launched, the pandemic, there were so many regulatory changes for any business, whatever you were in, whether that was things closing, things opening, new paperwork, new legislation. There was a lot of confusion. Did you make in the early weeks of the pandemic... Any mistakes? Many mistakes? Surely you made some. Of course. Uh, the, the list of mistakes is, is probably 
the longest in the last three months, just because we were completely going into a brand new market. You know, we we, we went to uh, rogue suppliers who ended up letting us down. We worked with massive uh, companies who also were too slow to move at the pace that we needed. Um, you know, we, we we've gone to uh, foreign entities to try and get uh, you know supplies into the UK. Again, none of it ended up working, um, but we managed to lock in with a brilliant manufacturer, both on the stations and on the sanitizer. And we've been partnered with both of them, you know, basically since the beginning now, um, because they, they've just been able to deliver. But the amount of mistakes and, you know, wasted money and time and, and stress that was caused just because, you know, you're, you're literally figuring out a brand new business. You're building a business in the space of weeks when people usually do this over years. Um, and you can really work out those mistakes as you go. But, you know, that's all part of the uh, the process. It's part, it's part of that, you're right. And I was going to say, how quickly after the concept was it that you actually launched your website and had this cleaned up business model? Was it days? Was it hours? Was it weeks? Because it was pretty damn yeah, quick. Yeah, I believe we went live with the website a matter of days after the initial decision to actually uh, put some, you know, time and effort behind the cleaned up opportunity. Um, you know, we we obviously have a lot of, uh, designers and, and, and developers in the company. So we're able to spin up things like a website incredibly quickly, um, which puts it at us an advantage. And then clearly with the experience that the team has in supply chains, in m- manufacturing and logistics, all of these things came into their own when, you know, the, the, the time was just not on our side. And, and clearly it's, it's paid off because we've been able to ship you know, tens of thousands of units in the spaces of just weeks. It's incredible. And and the million pound month, that must have been an incredible feeling for you from an idea that was nothing a few weeks prior to making a million in revenue. What went through your head when you when you hit that milestone? Well, the first thing was, this is brilliant for the team, because it means I can actually bring them back from furlough. And from, <laughs> you know, all, all of the all of that kind of stuff, because early days of, of lockdown, we were looking at you know, reducing salaries for the team and and putting people on furlough just to keep the company going, um, as as all of our charged up revenue had just dropped out. Um, and I'm sure it's a similar thing in your industry as well. It was it was a tough time for everyone. Um, but we we obviously uh, were very happy once we'd hit certain milestones. We agreed with the team if we hit this milestone, we will do X, Y, and Z. And obviously, once we hit those, we were able to bring everyone back. We ended up actually hiring. We've hired now about 25 extra people into the company uh, because of the the cleaned up opportunity and all of the other opportunities that have come off the back of cleaned up as well. So it's it's been great for for morale. It's given everyone something to to really drive towards um, when I guess a lot of industries are really suffering. Yeah, it is, it is incredible. And the fact that the revenue was drying up, I suppose, uh, obviously, you sort of shook you a little bit and obviously did the right thing by furloughing people. How does Charged Up generate revenue? Is it rental by the venue or rental by the consumer in the venue? It's actually the latter. Right. So the the customers so let's say you were in you're walking around on your pub crawl like last weekend <laughs> the only one that I've um, ever and, done <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you 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 know need to charge your phone you pop into the venue the venue will be hosting one of our stations you then go up to it you pay one pound an hour to borrow that battery via our app um, and then you can actually take that battery with you and return it to any other station in the network 
Um, so the, the, the venue themselves do not have to pay for the unit. It's actually just the end customer. So you're still very much engaged in both businesses. What does the next six to 12 months look like? Yeah, it's, a, it's an exciting time for us. We're now trying to you know, get charged up into as many of the cleaned up venues that we've uh, acquired over the last uh, you know, three months or so as possible. Um, and we're, we're looking at new business, uh, business opportunities as well in those venues that we, we can actually launch as well. So it's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, we've got fundraising down the, down the line as well, which is going to be a, a stressful period for myself because that is, that is really my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, lots of other things to come. Watch this space. You know, thank you very much for coming on this, this, this podcast today. It's been really interesting to listen to you and I wish you the best of luck with the Great British Entrepreneur Awards, albeit you are up against me. <laughs> thank you so much. I will see you in the, uh, in the dueling corner. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly, with my sort of friendly smile and congratulatory face on. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. To find out more about Cleaned Up or Charged Up, head over to cleanedup.green or chargedup.green or equally head over to their social media where there's tons of inspiring content. Join me next week where we'll be discussing more about failures, mistakes, passion and persistence with another inspiring owner entrepreneur who is currently in business. Thanks once again for listening. Take care. If you've enjoyed this program, then please show your support by subscribing via Apple Podcasts and all other major podcast streaming services. Why not share it with at least three friends? And of course, make sure you tune in next week. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Contact me via Twitter at OliverBruce underscore biz or via LinkedIn at OliverBruceOnline. Thank you. Successes in the Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain.